Hi, my name is Jenny Donnelly, and this is Shauna Danberg, and you have joined the Don't Mess With Our Kids podcast hosted by Her Voice Movement. You know, there are women, both old and young, and especially those mama bears who have had enough because the attack on our kids has gone way too far. So there's a grassroots movement uprising in America called Don't Mess With Our Kids, and it's really simple to be involved. One of the ways to engage is to simply share this broadcast and make sure you subscribe. But there are some exciting things coming that you want to put on your calendar. The first one is this. On April 13th, 2024, every state capital will be meeting to pray and to stand for what is right to fight for America. Because we know that America is in a place right now that we're all wondering which direction is this going to go. And that's why we're doing this podcast. So put that down April 13th and very soon possibly in one year, and we're getting these dates all figured out, we are calling 1 million women and their families to pray, to fast, and to stand with us in Washington, D.C. at our National Mall. And this will be a date coming to you really soon. So today's guest, I am so fired up about this incredible woman. I've gotten a chance now to interview her a couple times. She's gone with us on a freedom tour and her story is riveting. So I'm going to introduce to you in just a moment, Erin Lee. Now, Erin Lee is the mother of three children in Northern Colorado. She's a writer, a speaker, and the founder of StopGenderIdeology.com. You have to check out her website. So get this. Her story is so incredible that she's told it on Fox News. Newsmax, Glenn Beck, wow. and Epic Times, Frank's Speech, and the Daily Mail UK. She's testified in multiple states for pro-transparency, pro-parent legislation, and against the gender mutilation of children. So Aaron recently contributed to Dr. Miriam Grossman's new book, Lost in Trans Nation and can be seen in the upcoming featured documentary, Dysphoria, by Fearless Features. Got to check that out, too. She's also working with former Colorado Senator Kevin Lindbergh on a documentary film project called Art Club. Wow. Which will be released in November of 2023. And you can watch that trailer right now at www.artclubmovie.com. Aaron, let's bring you on. It is such an incredible honor to have you here today. And you know what? When it comes to this movement called Don't Mess With Our Kids, I think you are one of the keys to this message going across the nation and waking up moms and dads so that they don't experience what you and your family had to experience. And before I have you start sharing your story, I just want to thank you for not staying silent. And right now we're saying silence isn't safe. And you were a mother that decided to use your voice against the grain, against people that said, you can't say that, you can't do that. But you were basically saying, don't mess with my kid. Don't mess with my daughter. So Thank you for being here. So happy you could join us today. Can you share, just start by sharing your story? 
Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's a it's an honor to be with you. Well, I it all started in 2021. So I was a pretty average sleepwalking parent, you know, blindly trusting that I was sending my kids to public school and in loco parentis was happening, that they were continuing what was happening in the home at school and having the best interests of my kids in mind all the time. And we had just moved to a new town. It was the height of COVID protocol. I have a very shy, artsy, introverted little girl. She just turned 12 and she was in this new school and she hadn't made any friends her age. And so one day her art teacher asked her to stay after school for art club. But when she got to the art classroom, it was actually gender and sexuality awareness club or GSA. And the art teacher had invited in an activist from our community. This woman runs an organization for kids five to 11 called Skittles and 12 and up called Splash to discuss gender and sexuality. And she started with her number one rule, what you hear in here, keep in here. And it was all downhill. Okay, hold on a there. second. Let's just stop right there. What you hear in here, you keep in here. Yeah. And that's kind of the, the motto. Okay, keep going. And it gets worse from there. So she used flags to describe umbrella terms, telling the kids that transgender is when you are not completely comfortable in your biological sex, that queer is a term to describe yourself while you're still figuring out your sexuality. So they talked about who they were attracted to. And when my daughter didn't know because she's an innocent little girl, she said, well, then you're queer. Everyone's queer who doesn't know who they're sexually attracted to yet. So use this term. And when she adopted them, she was given flags and stickers and bracelets and other swag to correspond with her new labels. This woman talked about polyamory, which I had to Google as a 35-year-old woman at the time. She talked yeah, about- why don't you tell us what that is, honestly. Poly polyamory is multiple sexual partners at once. Okay. Um, so she's defining and, all of these terms like wow. polyamory. She discussed puberty blockers, telling the kids that here in the state of Colorado, where we live, at the age of 12, they can pursue their own health care without parent knowledge or consent. That's a law that was passed in the night in 2019. So she made sure that the kids knew they could pursue these puberty blockers without telling their parents so they could go to counseling without telling their parents. Okay. So Aaron, if a child wants to get puberty blockers... Do they go to the school counselor to do that? Like, who's their dealer without their yeah. parents? Knowing? You, I mean, I know I'm kind of getting in the weeds here, but I'm, I'm, I'm just so curious. I'm a parent and so many parents are listening right now. How would a child access that without their parents knowing? So it's my understanding that in this state, you do have to be 14 in order to get puberty blockers. But again, children 12 and up are the steward of their own health care. So yes, a good place to start is the counselor who can then refer you out to other medical professionals. In fact, in our school district, we have two school-based health clinics. They're opening a third here in my little community. And these are private doctor offices that are housed within our public schools. So if a parent signs a permission slip once, let's say for a sports routine physical in the sixth grade, then for the rest of that child's time in the school district, they can go see this health clinic and they don't have to tell their parents. The parents have already consented. Oh, wait so, a minute. Wow. Whether or not they can prescribe these puberty blockers in the school, I don't know, but they do have the capability to refer out to external okay. physicians. So, okay. so it's right so there you in the have school. your child just, you, you think, okay, I'm sending my child to go learn math, English, writing, and a parent could look up 
and two or three years have gone by and this child has actually been pursuing their own healthcare and their own gender transition without the parent knowing. This is all yeah. happening. Correct. Okay. In fact, my school district has had actual staff training about how to be a trusted adult to LGBTQ students. And within it, it heavily emphasizes how important it is to medicalize gender confused children. And it even has a workshop for accessing gender affirming care for how our school staff can be working with doctors to get children access to gender affirming care. This is part I of really, an actual professional development course. This is crazy. I really don't understand how we got here. I'm sure somebody out there, and maybe you know this, Aaron, but how did we get so far away from the role of a teacher versus the role of a parent? So what I'm observing is that there's this slight over time uh, shift where the parent is really not able to care for the child and have full authority over their own children. And it's like, it's all shifting to somebody else caring for your child and you not even be able to have a say about this. So yeah. anyway, keep, keep your story going. I'm just kind of shocked. And let's <laughs> come back to that because I've, okay. I've spent two and a half years, you know, deep in research of two, what okay. Like after this happened to us, we thought, well, first we thought there's no way this is real. We were skeptical. We very quickly realized it was real and it was worse than we had thought it was in the art club. And, and I've learned that this is not overnight that this has happened, that it has been decades that, you know, since Karl Marx and Paolo Fieri and people who were infiltrating the public school district decades ago, and they focused on training up the teachers at universities to think that these things they're doing are right. I don't believe that most of the teachers in the school systems who are doing these things, and it's a majority of the teachers, let's be real. I don't think they realize they're, they're doing evil. I don't think it's malicious. I think they themselves have been indoctrinated into thinking that this is how you educate. And wow. the entire system has been infiltrated and broken, and it did not happen overnight, and it won't be fixed overnight, unfortunately. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, continue your story because this is really interesting. Yeah. So what else did she do in the class that day? She talked about polyamory, puberty blockers, suicide. She told the kids that these new labels that they had just adopted, including my daughter's new queer and trans labels with her flags, make her more likely to kill themselves. And they, she even went into detail about how kids have committed suicide at their age. Now, what's the point of that? I mean, it's all, it's all crazy, but... I, mean, I know I'm just opening cans of worms right now. Yeah, and, and these I'm, are all rabbit trails I've gone down. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We could do a three hour podcast here. Um, so I guess what I'm hearing just from a spiritual side, you know, language is very spiritual and words are very spiritual because they implant, you know, anybody that's called a label as a little kid can remember being called something, right? Like it implants and it embeds. So even talking about suicide is like, oh, I've never considered that before. Let me think about that. So that's super interesting. It really points to what the enemy's after, which is to kill, steal, and destroy. But okay, go on. I'm going to try to refrain myself from interrupting you all the time. Well, they're, they're perpetuating this idea in the kids' heads. And for us personally, our daughter didn't know what suicide was prior to this meeting. We know that for a fact. 
And when she came out of it, and we'll get into it, she became suicidal as a result of the depression and the confusion and our inability to help her. And we'll get into laws here in Colorado that have made it impossible for a therapist to even help her through it. And so it almost to me feels like, and I've, I've said this before publicly about my school district, that they want increased mental health decline numbers, that they, if they can prove that there's mental health decline numbers, they get more federal funding, more grant money to then push more anti-suicide programming. And anti-suicide isn't what we think it is by today's standards. It's LGBTQ propaganda is exactly what anti-suicide has become. So it's this cyclical pattern where it's like worse mental health means more money, which means more programming, which means more kids are confused into this ideology. And it's just a vicious cycle. Wow. that we unfortunately fell into. But so also in this class, she gave out a personal cell phone number and asked the kids to connect with her privately, not just by cell, but on Discord and WhatsApp and various teen chat platforms where parents aren't monitoring the conversation. This is crazy. Should friend her and agree to her rules. And then they can join the Discord channel and chat with her privately that they don't have to tell their parents. And as my daughter left the art room that day with all of her swag and her new labels and she had been glitter bombed by these people that celebrated her for proclaiming transgenderism her teacher pulled her aside and said remember you don't have to tell your parents so they doubled down on this secrecy of course they did and aaron what's glitter bombed because i've heard you use that phrase before but i think a lot of our listeners don't know what that is but that's a thing so what is that yeah well it's cult-like behavior is what it is you know it's love bombing is a term that's used in cults where they bring people in, they dissuade them from communicating with their family, they shower them with love and praise and acceptance. And it's not genuine. It's it's an effort to get them into the cult. And it's the same thing wow. here with what they're doing to our kids with the LGBTQ propaganda. It's they're yeah. glitter bombing them. It's rainbows and sunshine and unicorns. And, you know, they give them shiny toys. And it's just, it's all to appeal to children. Yeah. And so what happened next? Because the story continues. Yeah, well, we picked her up and we're really lucky that that night she broke the rule and told us what had happened. And so we followed up with the activist kind of in disbelief. I mean, that whole night we were in shock. We were in tears. My daughter ordered mac and cheese from the kids menu, slept with her teddy bear, and we cried over her all night. Like, how did this happen? You stole her innocence. I can't and ever was she back. convinced that she was queer? In one, it didn't take months. It was one 90-minute after-school art club right. event. Right. And, they and she came home and said, Mom, I'm, this was what I am. Right. And she was intentionally pursued by that teacher because she was so vulnerable. She was visibly vulnerable. In fact, they did a survey on the kids and found that my daughter didn't have any social connection. She didn't circle any of her friends. She didn't circle anyone who was a friend. And so they put a target on her back and they do, they go for the most vulnerable kids. I agree with that. She was very susceptible. That. Yeah. And then and here you are not expecting this, probably hadn't even heard that this was a thing. You're like completely caught off guard by what's happening. And right. so then what happened from there? Well, it was intentionally a secret. So we reached out to the principal who confirmed it was a confidential meeting because as a public school, they have to provide a safe space for students. So they're providing this secret space to talk about gender and sex with the assumption that all parents are evil until proven That's innocent. When do you have a confidential meeting at school? With 12-year-olds. 
Okay. An 11 year old. There were 11 year olds in the room and there were other kids who didn't follow the, or who did follow the rules and didn't tell their parents what was happening. In fact, four families later came forward after we went public a year later and they didn't know that their daughters had been attending this club, but all of them fell into a myriad of identities. So they were pansexual and then bisexual and then transgender. And they were trying all these labels and all of them became depressed to the point of suicidality. One of the little girls actually drank bleach and attempted to take her life. Um, That family is on our federal lawsuit that we filed. So they are fighting back. They've removed their children and they're fighting back, but they had no idea. And so while their daughter is going through it, they don't understand the external influences. They're blaming themselves. Like, how did she get so confused? Where is this coming from? Is it coming from the internet? Didn't you say, Erin, that they asked questions like, okay, do you feel uncomfortable in your body? Okay, what 11 and 12-year-old, as puberty's, you know, starting, says, oh, I think this is great. Well, what you know, I think this 35 is really at the time, what 35-year-old right. woman is fully comfortable Exactly, I'm, I'm saying right now. Good point. <laughs> right. And they know that. Yeah, they ask the questions. Um, I was just sharing this at our church the other day, but I went in, this, this sounds ridiculous, and it is, but I went into a doctor's appointment. I was in my mid-20s. And I literally had to get a wart removed off my foot. And the nurses come in. I tell me, I just got this wart, you know, and I'm thinking they're going to pull out the dry ice and just get rid of it, right? Mm-hmm. Or whatever it is they put on it. I don't know. Look, I think it's dry ice. But basically, they leave and they go, okay, we'll send the doctor. And I'm like, wow, this must be a me- mega wart situation here. Anyway, he comes in, he asks me these questions. Are you creative at night? Do you tend to not go to bed until really late? And, all the- and I was like, yeah, I mean, mostly, sure. He goes, okay, I'll be right back. He comes back in on the piece of paper, diagnoses me bipolar and prescribes medication. Right. And uh, my grandmother was actually uh, mentally ill, very severely mentally ill. She spent her whole life or her whole adult life in a, um, a mental institution, died there actually. That's how long she was there. But I knew the enemy was seeking agreement. You too, Jenny, you too. You're, you're... But the thing was, Aaron, my point is, is that the questions were all leading me in in to, for him to be able to prescribe, right? So I I got my car and I left. I was like, are you kidding me? These people are quacks. And I got in my car and thought, what should I do? And so I called and reported him, like, here's the guy, here's the clinic. Right. He's at, he out of his mind. I didn't even get my work removed. So But imagine all of that happening when you were eleven or exactly. twelve. Exactly where you wouldn't have put two and two together. And so, yeah, the leading questions, the things where you're like, well, yeah, I do feel that way. So, And I think it's important for us to say this because I think that there are some parents that when their kid comes home and says, I am attracted to girls and they're a girl, they're, they're actually believing them. Mm-hmm. They're like, sure. Oh no, you yeah. are. Yeah. No, yeah. somebody asked questions behind the scenes. Somebody implanted the idea that made them go, that is me, right? So I think it started with, you know, it's there's a lot of such good stuff in the story, but Aaron- Because the enemy always rides in on a truth. That's right. So. That's right. And <laughs> they're seeking agreement and you didn't agree mm-hmm. with your daughter, right? And that's the most powerful, powerful thing we can do spiritually is not agree with anything that God doesn't agree with. God doesn't agree that he accidentally put a boy in a girl's body. Period. End of story. So you did not agree. 
Thank God. Okay. Continue the story. Well, what did you do? I'll share this. I, in that moment, I didn't know how to react. And I myself had been indoctrinated. I realize it now. I was not strong in my faith at that point in our lives. My husband had no faith at that point in our lives. So we had not armored our children with the truth of God in order to thwart it when it happens to them. So I will always fault myself for that. But I myself said, what if this is real? You know, I'm afraid to say the wrong thing because what if she is transgender and I can't take back something that will hurt her. And that didn't last long. By the end of the mm -hmm. night, I had, I had come to the realization that no, this isn't real. That's not possible. This, that's, that's not my daughter. And, you know, so I understand how parents find themselves in that position. And we also are put, you know, we're told of the lie that if you don't go along with it, they'll kill themselves. This whole suicidality myth is forced on parents. Do you want a living son or a dead daughter? Now, didn't and you go to the doctor and they actually, they actually presented that to you? They Tell did. us about that. So, so when this happened, we, she's in this deep depression. We, at first we thought, okay, you know, she'll, she'll get over it. This is obviously a temporary thing. And it just got worse. She just got more confused, more depressed. We took her to a therapist and we found out that in the state of Colorado, they passed law that is an anti-conversion therapy bill with specific language, language around gender confused youth. So if you are licensed in any way, even a faith-based counselor, you cannot do anything but affirm gender confusion in children. You can't organ too. It. Yeah. You can't call it a mental health yeah. issue. You have to say, oh, that's your identity. Okay, that's your identity. Let's go with it. It's like affirming an anorexic girl. It's like when a 12-year-old a comes in and says, I don't like my body. I think I'm fat. It's the equivalent of a doctor being legally obligated to say, oh, you think you're fat? You should stop eating. You should throw up your food. You're right. You are fat because you say so, 12-year-old little girl. It's just, it's insane. And so we, we didn't even have therapy as an option after that. It made her worse. That's what led to her suicide note. So we took her to a pediatrician who we'd seen for five years and they had us leave the room for the mental health assessment. When we came back, Zoloft had already been discussed. They already were talking about giving her dangerous psychotropic drugs to fix the problem. But the problem was her confusion. The depression had sprung from this problem that we didn't solve with her misunderstanding of who she was. Right. And those drugs didn't make her better. We, we were bullied into giving them to her. You know, do you want her to live and take these drugs or do you want her to kill herself? And so we went along with it. But it did not make her better. It didn't address the root issue. And unfortunately, we've got these laws here that require doctors to go along with it. It's like the system has been hijacked against us. Wow. I'm just thinking about the scripture. You know, we, we think of someone who struggles with mental illness as being unstable. And I think of that scripture that says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so I'm thinking about how that's the goal of the enemy here. That's the goal of these people, whether they know it or not, to cause double-mindedness, to call point. confusion mm -hmm. so that you're unstable in all of your ways. And that's what was happening to her. It wasn't that she needed drugs. It wasn't that she needed even counseling. She just, she didn't under, she was confused. And so kind of what happened from there, Erin, when you, you, it's like the doctor isn't working, the, the counselors aren't working, you know, here's my daughter. She's suffering so bad. And I'm sure as a parent, you must've been suffering just as much, if not more. And so what did you do? What, what, how did things start to resolve? Cause I know she's in a good place now. 
She is. And that's the reason that we can be public. And I emphasize that all the time. She supports me. She wants us to tell her story to help other kids. But, you know, what saved her is taking a direct approach, speaking God's truth directly into her in a situation where we didn't allow her to have all those other influences infiltrating her mind. So we removed the influences, the Internet, the video games, the toxic friends, the public school, get got her right out of public school and into a, a wonderful small Christian school. And we had hard conversations. So we sat her down and said, is this really how you feel? Is this really who you are? And in that moment, it was, you could just see the relief on her face. It was like everyone else had been going along with it. The friends, the influences, the doctors, and it wasn't making her better. And she just needed someone to give her an out. She Come needed on. that opportunity to say, nope, this isn't me. I don't want to do this anymore. And now she's so grateful that we didn't go along with it, that we did never affirmed or called her a different name or entertained that confusion. We just helped her to see who she is in Christ, that there is nothing wrong with her, that God does not make mistakes. There's nothing wrong with you. You are perfect the way you are. And it's normal to go through these kinds of feelings. You're a 12-year-old girl. Puberty sucks. It's uncomfortable, but we have got to work together to get you through it because all little girls have to get come out on the other side. And you do. And being a woman is wonderful and beautiful. And all of the hardship will absolutely bear fruit for you when you grow up. And and so now she's very secure in her femininity. Wow. Now, in what way are you standing up? And I know you're probably getting the heat on this, oh, yeah. but in what ways are you actively because we, we say here with Don't Miss Their Kids, it's we're going to pray, we're going to fast. Yes, skipping a meal or two can really pierce the battlefield. It's just how it works. But we also say stand. How are you now taking a stand? You have your daughter back and you could just move on with your life, but you're choosing to take a stand to represent thousands upon thousands of other parents in our country. What are you doing right now for that, Erin? Yeah. And I'll say, first of all, it was really scary at first. I felt like I was alone on an island, like I was the only person in the world who was going through this. And we suffered in silence for that whole year the while we were just trying to get her through it. And the, the turning point for me is I actually called the police. So I went through all the channels to try to handle this. It became clear that the school district was proud of what had happened. They doubled down on the programming, on the secrecy. I realized I'm not getting you anywhere with them. So I called the police because this was sexual abuse, in our opinion. And, and we wanted help holding someone accountable. And they couldn't through the law because there was no physical touch or exposure of body parts. But they did say get loud. Just because we can't help you doesn't mean this isn't wrong, that mm. parents don't have a right to know what's happening with their kids. And so I, I pray, I'll be honest, I prayed on it and I asked God to please not put me in this position. <laughs> it's scary. Not many people will talk about it. It involves my daughter and, and he called on me to be loud. And so we, we did that. We shared our story across the world. And what I found is that hundreds upon thousands of families are going through this same thing. Everyone listening to the, this podcast knows someone in their life who has been affected by gender ideology or someone who's going through this kind of confusion. It is not uncommon. And parents are just afraid to talk about it. And so we're fighting back fourfold. We're fighting back by pulling our kids out of public school and for advocating for other families to do the same. Hit, hit these systems in the wallet where it counts. If they're not going to listen to you and share what's happening in the schools and focus on academics, pull your kids out. Number two, lawfare. 
We filed a federal lawsuit with America First Policy Institute as our co-counsel, and we're trying to create case law and set precedent so that parents can come behind us and have a blueprint for how to fight back with lawfare. Um, also flip your school boards. You know, we've got seven woke, malicious people on our school board, and they deserve to be fired. And the will of the people, overwhelmingly people don't agree with gender ideology. They're afraid to talk about it, but they don't agree with it. And so we've got to get behind good school board candidates and take back our public school system. And then finally, by exposing. I utilize media. What I have learned is of all these tactics, what my school district despises the most is bad press. They are cockroaches. They do not like me shining a light on their darkness. And so every time an incident needs to be exposed, I use media to do so. Um, and I encourage parents to do the same. Are so you we're finding back people, all the ways? <laughs> this is so incredible. Are you finding that people are number one? Are people willing to go to school board meetings? Do they feel intimidated by that? Is there is there because it, it feels like we could gain some ground if some people just really make this a priority to show up to school board meetings? I, I'll be honest that in my community they are not. There's a handful of us who are willing to show up and speak up for what's right and ask for accountability and transparency. There are some districts that do, but what I've learned is that we've got to organize at the grassroots level. That yeah. even if it's two parents starting out who speak Come up on. and have the courage to show other parents how it's done and ask others to follow suit, we have got to dig deep and be the people who stand up and show others the way to fight back. So no, but do I believe that there's a movement of people waking up to what's happening mm -hmm. and that more people will continue to speak up at their school board meetings? I genuinely do believe that. So Aaron, I know we're kind of, we're kind of running out of time, but I have a question I want to make sure and get to. And then I want to yeah. ask you to share anything that you feel like is really important too. If there's anything just like, I got to share this before I hop off. But my question before that is I have three granddaughters my oldest granddaughter's just three years old. Okay. So they're just all little, but I'm thinking about when, because I remember part of your story, you haven't shared it yet, but you shared how your daughter watched what is a woman, that documentary. And she's seen the ideology play out. This was after she had already gone through it and she decided she was no longer transgender. And she's like looking at this going, how did I fall for that sort of a thing? But it's like, well, you didn't even know you didn't have, you didn't know what to look for. You were totally taken by surprise. So at what point should a parent have these kinds of conversations with their kids so that it's like, it's like if somebody comes and hands you drugs, like if I don't know, you know, that it's, it's just like how you have to tell them before it starts, right? You have to educate your kids that this is a thing and what it looks like and what to look for. And I know you've got little girls that yeah. are very young. So it's mm -hmm. like, is it three? Is it five? Is it seven? And, and what would that look like, Erin? Do you look back and go, if she would have been prepared, it may have looked different. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I have little ones still. I have a nine-year-old and a three-year-old. And so we're faced with this. And, and I get asked that a lot from parents. Like, I don't want to introduce my kids to this. That's the whole point. How do I essentially inoculate them from this ideology? Because it's everywhere. It's in cartoons. It's in commercials. It's in my daughter's little private Christian school. It's unavoidable. You've got yep. to inoculate them from it. But I think there's a way to do that without directly addressing the issue. So I have three points I tell all parents. Number one, teach your kids early and often that they are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God does not make mistakes, 
that we are given our, our gender from God. You cannot change it. It's beautiful. It may be hard sometimes, but you can't change it. And I didn't realize that was necessary with my kids before. I, I used to tell her, she's beautiful. You're smart. You can do anything. I didn't say you're a biological girl and you can't change that. <laughs> I now understand that's necessary. And so I encourage parents to do that. I do it with my three-year-old early that's and awesome. often. Read books about you know, who you are and loving your body. Um, number two, teach your kids. No one should ask you to keep a secret. Safe adults do not ask kids to keep secrets. I don't care if they taught you your ABCs and then said, don't tell your parents I taught you that. You tell me. That's good, Erin. Number three, no one should ask you to label yourself in any way. I tell my kids, you are just you. You are unique. All of the things that make you up cannot be changed and they're beautiful and they're wonderful. You do not need to put a label on yourself. Um, and then I'll add to that, we need to empower our kids to listen to their instinct. And I tell parents the same, that throughout all of this, I listen to my instinct as a parent. I know them best. I did not let the world tell me I have to affirm. I have to go along with it. I trusted my instinct and that saved my daughter's life. So we need to empower our kids to do the same. If you're in a situation and you don't feel comfortable, remove yourself. Mom gives you the authority to remove yourself from a situation. If someone says something that makes you uncomfortable, tell mom about it. And so we've got to give them that authority to trust their instinct, to listen to God, and to remove themselves from a situation that just doesn't feel right. That's such good advice. So great. Thank you so much wow. for that. In fact, I was sitting here thinking, I'm going to go back and listen to this and take notes from the beginning because this is super valuable. This is at the heart of Don't Mess With Our Kids. This is why we are calling 1 million women and their families yep. to pray fast and stand with us in Washington, D.C. I know you know all about that, Erin, because you went I'll to D.C. with us. <laughs> yes, you will. And we went to D.C. a little bit ago and um, got to be together there. And she shared this story with a room full of um, radical women and this story is an, it's an alarm and it's a good one. Sometimes we don't like to be alarmed. You know, people that are sleeping don't like alarms. I remember my alarm going off this morning going, nope, <laughs> 15 more minutes, right? But the church, the body of Christ needs an alarm. And this story is alarming, but it's also what God is using to cut through the fog and, you know, the other day I was thinking about, um, you know, one of my nicknames when I was little, I used to resent it greatly, but God was like, let me correct you on this because the name was Foghorn because I was really loud, loud kid, always talking, always, you know, whatever, here I'm talking today, right? But God was like, no, you are a Foghorn because you are sounding alarm in the fog when people cannot see, when there's confusion. And this is what Don't Mess With Our Kids is doing is we are saying, sound the alarm and I think I'll have to do more research on it, but I think it's, you know, boats out on the water in the fog mm -hmm. have to sound the alarm so yeah. you don't get hurt. Yeah. And this is so incredible what you're doing. And we honor your life and just say, go for it. Keep going. And you're going to look back and there are going to be people that have duplicated your bravery because your bravery is infectious. Yes. And so we just thank you for, for that. I would love for you to share any last minute comments and or pray for every person listening to begin to take a stand, to begin to talk to their children, to bring this right to the dinner table, right? So would you take a moment, any last thoughts and prayer? 
Yeah, I'll say that to your point, the thing that we're up against the most is willful ignorance, apathy, sleepwalking, especially from the church. And I think the most impactful thing any of us can do is just talk about it. Satan doesn't want us to talk about this issue. By keeping us silent, they get to further their agenda. And so the most impactful thing any of us can do is just within your own sphere of influence, your friends, your family, your church community, just talk about it, destigmatize it. Help me normalize this conversation so that we collectively can combat this evil. Before you pray, before you pray, Erin, and I don't know if I interrupted you. Did you, were you saying more on that? Nope. Go ahead. Okay. Just because I listened to a podcast with, it was Dr. Miriam Grossman, which she's got the book that your story's in, Lost in Transnation. And I listened to a podcast with her and she was talking about how there are because people actually think, Aaron, I have had conversations with Christians and non-Christians who don't think this is like happening often. Like they wow. think your story is like a one-off. Like they don't, they don't believe that this is actually infiltrating. But she, Dr. Grossman was saying, it's because there's very few people talking about it. They're in the midst of the battle and they're not, this is your 12-year-old, this is your 14-year-old. You're not you're not talking about it on social media. You're not telling your friends. You're you're suffering in it, probably. And then even people on the other side of it don't necessarily have their child's permission to talk about it or feel called like you do. So just because you're not hearing these kinds of stories all the time doesn't mean it's not happening everywhere. And she makes that clear. And I think that's important to say. This is not a one-off story. This is just because not a lot of people are telling the story. So thank you for being willing to tell the story and thank your daughter for being willing to allow you to as well. Absolutely. And I tell parents all the time, like we got punched in the face with this reality. This is a very serious situation, but it affects all of us. People think it doesn't affect me, but the pronoun conversation, the transgender reading assignments, they're slipping it into math problems. You know, this subtle seeds are being planted with kids across America and parents aren't detecting it because it's so subtle, but it's making kids ripe for a situation like ours where a 90 minute meeting can capture their mind and their heart. And so it, it does affect all of us a million percent. Yeah. Wow. If you'd pray for us, that'd be incredible. Yeah. Lord, we call you to bless all the parents of America, especially those listening to this podcast today. Bring out courage in them. Cover them with the armor of God. Help them to be Esther's and Deborah's and Mordecai's. And be with our children as they're faced with this evil. Guard their hearts guide their minds and their spirits, help them to see you and your truth, help their moms and their dads to awaken and become mama bears and rise up and fight back against this evil because we can do it. We can do it together. It's in your name and through your strength. Amen. Amen. So beautiful. Thank you so much, Erin. We'd love to have you back another time so that we can see what else is coming up. And um, thank you. Really, we can't say it enough. Praise God for you. Bless you, my friend. Okay, everybody. Well, that's been this episode of Don't Mess With Our Kids. And Shauna, that was just amazing. And I'm going to ask everybody that's listening right now, would you be willing to take about five minutes and send this to at least 10 mothers? Yeah. I'm talking about just push that share button, send this to 10 different mothers and say, I listen to this. You need to know about this. And we need to be awake at this time. 
And this whole movement, Don't Mess With Our Kids, is it's incredible. It's nothing that we thought of. This is God's dream to see America turn back to God. So what we do every single week is we come on a Zoom, a live Zoom on Monday morning. And you can see right there, it's don'tmesswitharkids.us slash live. At 10 a.m. Pacific time, you can catch us live on a Zoom. We share the whole part of this. Uh, most of it, we share this vision. But today, what you've heard with Aaron has just been incredible because you're seeing different elements and different pieces that we don't cover on Mondays. But we want to invite you to do that. There's also a replay available on that same landing site. Okay. The other thing I want to share and I hope you're still listening because sometimes when you sign off, everybody gets off. So if you are listening still right now, I want to invite you to start a prayer hub. A prayer hub is a way for us to do what Aaron's talking about. It's one of the ways, which is to get in the presence of our kids and pray with them. Having a kid's prayer hub is the priority of her voice movement, it's the priority of don't mess with our kids, is to get men and women praying in small groups. I'm talking two or three. If you have two grandkids, you know what? Schedule it on the calendar once a month and you go to hervoicemovement.com and right there you can sign up for a prayer hub. It'll pop you into our app and inside the app you can download the prayer guide you can get coloring sheets that we put up every single month and it's all free. If we do not teach our children to pray, if we don't teach them who God is, if we not do not teach them who they are in God, they are so vulnerable and susceptible to these messages like you've heard today. A way that we armor our children is to teach them to be in communion and oneness with God and that happens through prayer. So I know that we're really good about you know, dropping them off in the nursery, but let's make sure that we get them centered around prayer. And the best person to teach them that is mom or dad, grandma or grandpa. It's always the family unit. And that's what we're fighting for. Thank you so much for being with us today. And we'll see you next episode.